about family matters. And this last week, I was listening to a sermon by uh, Dr. Tony Evans. I love him. And a lot of what he teaches and talks on is kingdom-mindedness. And he was talking about kingdom and reaching your world and what that looks like and the mandate and the call of God on our life to reach the world. And as he was talking, I started thinking about, he said something that triggered a memory in my head. And I started thinking about missions. And um, as, a, as a teenager, I lived, we lived on the mission field. I lived in Costa Rica. I know that doesn't sound like I suffered much for Jesus, but... Um, <laughs> which it was incredible, I'm not gonna lie, but lived, lived there for a season. And then I, I just decided to grab a pen and paper and, and, and start going through numbers and stuff. And so I pulled this up. I, I would like to say I could remember this from the top of my head, but I didn't. Um, in all my years of life, I have been a team member on eight short-term missions trips. And I have led 38 short-term missions trips to 10 different countries including living on the mission field. And I started thinking about what those trips were like. Like I loved, loved, loved missions. And I almost said 11 countries because I wanted to include Louisiana in that, but that wouldn't have been fair. I'm just playing. Like, come on, come, that's kind of funny, right? So um, <laughs> I started thinking about these trips and then I started doing the math about how old I was when I led my first team. I was not old enough to rent a car from Enterprise. And they let me take like 37, 38 teenagers to Honduras. And these parents were like, take them. You don't even have to bring them back. Like, just go. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And, you know, it was just incredible. What I love about that is you get to see people encounter God. And less about the people that we're ministering to, but more about the people that we're going. Like, they just encounter that, man, God has a purpose for me right now. I'm 13, I'm 15, I'm 17. God's got a purpose for me right now. He wants to use me right now in the world. And it's incredible and it's exciting. And I love leading teams of teens. Leading teams of adults is not necessarily my favorite because adults aren't scared in airports and in new country. They're like, I got this, I'm grown. And you're like, oh, well, they're gonna get you. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I led a team one time of doctors and nurses. Love these people. Worst trip for me. A, because I know nothing about medicine except for what I used to watch on Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> so I could do brain surgery if you need it. Like, I've watched enough of that. But, but like, I didn't know anything. And we had just got to Haiti right after the earthquake. And they're doing all these operations and stuff. And then they would sit at dinner and want to talk about what they had done that day. I'm like, did your mama not teach you anything? Like, we don't talk about this stuff at the dinner table. So, like, I didn't eat that whole 10 days in Haiti because I'm like, you did what? They're like, we took a picture. I'm like, I do not want to see it. Like, No. But I love short-term missions. And I'm thinking about all these different countries and these experiences, and I've been having conversations with Phil about, like, this was so amazing. And you know what? We believed in raising our kids to have experience and life experience and not stuff. So my kids have been, they're 22 and 20, and they've been traveling all over the world since they were seven. And so thinking about that, I thought about those 10 different countries. And the one thing that those 10 countries have in common, besides letting me in, <laughs> is they all have a U.S. embassy. Most countries around the world have a U.S. embassy or a consulate. I personally have no desire to travel somewhere where there is not a U.S. embassy or consulate because it's important. And if you're like, well, I don't know why it's important. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, okay? So all, America, all an American embassy really is, is a small piece of America somewhere far away. 
When you get to an embassy, once you cross through those gates, all U.S. laws apply. So if you get in trouble in Sri Lanka, you better get to that embassy fast. And if you're in a country where there's not an embassy, I hope your prayer life is good. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you need that, right? So because an embassy is a is sovereign territory, that's the way it works. Like, that, the rules and laws and regulations of that country apply once you're on that territory. They do not belong to the country they are in. They belong to the country they are from. Let me say that again. The embassy does not belong to the country that it is in. It belongs to the country that it is from. And what we see in Matthew chapter 6, where you see the Lord's Prayer, you may know it, you may have heard it, but it opens up with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we have this, this picture of God establishing an embassy in history called the church. He said, my will in heaven to be done on earth. Scripture's super clear that as, as believers, as followers of Jesus, that we are not of this world, that we are just passing through. But God is using us, he's calling us, he's equipping us to be an embassy in this place. So if we are truly what scripture says and what an embassy is, that we, are, we don't belong to the country, the place, the city, the community that we're in, we belong to where we're from, it changes things. It should change things. And if you don't see a difference there, I, I dare you to ch check your heart. The Bible is clear. The purpose of the church is not to represent the country. The purpose of the church is to represent the kingdom. And so when you, and listen, listen, y'all need to hear this. The church is not Pastor Randy and his team. The church is not these four walls. The church is the believers, the body of Christ who come together and say, you know what? I got saved. I'm still here. God's got a purpose for me. I tell students that all the time. If salvation was just only for you, the minute you gave your life to Christ, you'd be gone. But you're still here sucking air. So what are you going to do about it? Like if you're a believer and you, you're here, like God's got something for you and it's bigger than yourself. It's bigger than what we're doing. It's bigger than what we're focusing on. One of the problems though, so Dr. Tony Evans in that, in that sermon, um, he says, one of the problems today is the church has adopted the worldview and the values of the country rather than rep representing the homeland. So what happens there is that, that adds to the chaos, right? The world that we live in, like you, all you have to do is turn on the news. Or if you're my mom, Facebook. Turn it on and they tell you what's going on in the world. Like, can you believe this? Can you see this? What's happening here? It, it brings chaos and confusion to what we are supposed to do. And if we're not careful, we look at what's happening in our world. We look at what's happening in our government. We look at what's happening online. We look at what's happening in Hollywood. And we let that determine what we do. And I think it's time that we flip the switch and go, wait a minute, I'm an embassy. We're an embassy. We're not part of this world. I'm not called. 
I'm not called to be right here. Right. I, I joked around about Facebook. I'm going to tell you something. Some of you guys, that is a mission field for you. Do you know how many times I get online and I see people that are struggling and hurting? What do you do with that? How do you encourage those people? How, how are we helping the people that God puts in front of us? So when the church is not the church, let me say that one more time. When the church, you, me, we are not the church, and we are merely a religious entity in the community, we are not allowed to be surprised or shocked that our culture deteriorates. We can't be shocked when kids come in here depressed, on drugs, freaking out, sleeping with everybody. And, well, I don't know how that happened. We can't be shocked when marriages are falling apart, when people are not having relations, their, their families are falling apart. We cannot be shocked if the church isn't doing what the church was meant to do. Well, I wish the church would do something. Me too. Get up and do something. We are the church, my friend. It's not me. It's all of us. Look, we all play a part in that. So I want to look in Scripture today at where I see an embassy being established by God. Because I want to tell you something. God is good. Despite us, despite our failures, despite everything that we don't do right, He always does right. So we see this place in Scripture where God establishes embassy. If you want to turn there in Scripture, we're in 2 Chronicles 22 and 23. But I want to set the scene for you because I think sometimes when we don't understand the context of what's happening in Scripture, it gets really weird. And you're like, wow, this is weird. Where did this come from? So I'm going to set the scene a little bit so you understand where we're going. What we have is the nation of Israel. It's divided into two places, two kingdoms. The northern region... It's kind of like Civil War. When the Civil War happened and the U.S. was divided, that's kind of what's happening here. So if you've got a picture in your head, there you go. The northern region was called the Kingdom of Israel. The Kingdom of Israel had opened up to major pagan worship, Baal worship. It, there was a lot of perversion. Evil things were happening. The king that we're about to talk about completely, completely messed up, jacked up. And then you have the southern kingdom, and that's the Kingdom of Judah. Now, Judah, they're, perf they're not perfect people, but they were going after God. They were trying to follow God's rules. But see, what happens is that division makes us weaker. Okay? So you got, this is God's people. Both, both kingdoms are God's people. Not everybody was following God, but they were divided. So what they saw was if we can unite on some things, maybe we can share commerce and maybe we can advance against the enemy because they're surrounded by all these evil people groups. And so what we have, Jehoshaphat. Isn't that a cool name? I dare somebody name their first kid that. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. He was a good guy. When my kids were little, they and daddy would tell them stories. Daddy, is he a good guy or a bad guy? That's everything in Bible. Is a good guy or a bad guy? He's like, he's a good guy. So Jehoshaphat, he's a good guy. He's a king that loves God. And Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, made an alliance with Ahab, the king of Israel. Ahab was married to this girl named Jezebel. If you've not heard of her, she's not a good girl. Was she a good guy? Absolutely not. Ahab was bad. Jezebel was worse. Okay? And so Jehoshaphat works his deal out with Ahab taking his daughter Athaliah to marry Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram. So he's like, well, this will work. 
Come on in. You can be part of our family. So you've got this good king making dumb choices. And I'm going to tell you all something. It matters. It matters. It matters. It matters who you marry. It matters. Moms and dads, if you haven't started praying for your children and who they marry, start today. It matters. It matters. It matters. So this little girl, this little wild girl coming in from Israel with all her, her Baal worship and her perversion and her evilness, she comes in, and Jehoshaphat, the king, he dies. So that leaves Jehoram to take over the kingdom of Judah. But see, Jehoram was greatly influenced by his wife, Athaliah. So Jehoram is now allowing all this pagan worship, and they've, they've built this huge temple to Baal and there's all this yucky stuff happening and Jehoram was an evil evil king was he a bad guy or a good guy dad he was a bad guy okay and so Jehoram he reigns for like eight years and he dies and scripture says like nobody even cared because he was so awful and so his son Ahaziah I told everybody this first service listen you could read the bible nine million times but you're not going to pronounce all those names right so I need a little bit of grace this morning, okay? His son Ahazai in charge and his wife Athaliah. So Ahazai is Athaliah's son and he's only king for just a short time and he died. He's, he's so evil that his daddy had already killed off all his brothers. I forgot to tell y'all that part. He said, look, we're not going to risk it for a biscuit. Nobody else is going to take this place. I'm going to wipe them out. So he killed all his brothers, leaving just him and his kids and, so, or, and his sisters. So then he dies, takes the, his, he dies, his son takes the place, Ahazai. And then Ahazai dies shortly thereafter, leaving only Queen Athaliah. So she quickly moves into position. I want you to understand something. The enemy's always working behind the scenes. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. Because we've got to be aware that the enemy doesn't go, well, you won't give your heart to Jesus? Okay, you're going to do big things for God? All right, I'll let you alone. He steps it up. And he's working behind the scenes. He doesn't relent, but neither does Jesus. You need to remember that. The Holy Spirit's on our side. We're ambassadors here. We're not from this place. So Athaliah is now queen and she just is awful. She kills off all of her grandchildren. I know, I joked for service. This would be a really weird sermon on like Mother's Day. <laughs> Y'all take your wife for a good lunch after this, you know. <laughs> so she kills off all her grandkids. And this, this brings us to where we're supposed to be today. Second Chronicles 22, 23. We're going to talk about these two people named Jehoiada and Je. Je Jehoshaphat. Jehoiada was the high priest of God in Judah. And he was married to Jehoshaphat. Now here's what's so cool about Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was Athaliah's daughter. So I want to make a point right here. It don't matter who your mom and daddy are. It doesn't matter if you come from dysfunction, addiction, brokenness. If you want to follow God, God will use you. He will use you. She had the worst mother in the history of mothers and even worse grandma in the history of grandmas. And God showed up because she said yes. So she's married to the high priest of Judah. And 
This is where we're going to start. Second Chronicles 22, verses 10 through 12. It says, When Athaliah, the mother of King Ahiza, ooh, King Ahiza, y'all got it, of Judah, learned that her son was dead, she began to destroy the rest of Judah's royal family. But Ahiza's sister, Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Ahiza's infant son, Joash, and stole him away from among the rest of the king's children, who were about to be killed. She put Joash and his nurse in a bedroom. In this way, Jehoshaphat, wife of Jehoiada, the priest and sister of Ahiza, hid the child so that Athaliah could not murder him. Joash remained hidden in the temple of God for six years while Athaliah ruled over the land. Then we move to 2 Chronicles chapter 23, and it says, during the seventh year of Athaliah's reign, Jehoiada says, it's time we step up and do something. This priest is like, enough's enough. Well, this can't happen anymore. And so scripture goes on to say that he grabs all of the religious leaders. He grabs all of the heads of the houses from all of the villages, and they send out, and they bring everybody together. And he calls them and says, we're going to fix this. We're going to make this right. Have everybody meet in Jerusalem. So in 2 Chronicles 23.3, it says, They all gathered at the temple of God, where they made a solemn pact with Joash, the young king. I want to give you a picture there. Here's a six-year-old baby boy that was supposed to be dead. But somebody said yes. Brought that baby in. He's six years old. And you've got all of the nation leaders surrounding him saying, we got you. And we're going to serve God and you're going to be our king. Who knows what that kid thought? He probably was like, oh, okay. This is, I was going to play with trucks here in a minute, but I think this sounds cooler. All right, I'm here for it. <laughs> so Second Chronicles 23 eight says, so the Levites and all the people of Judah did everything as Jehoiada the priest ordered. Then, 2 Chronicles 23, 11, then Jehoiada and his sons brought out Joash, the king's son, placed the crown on his head and presented him with a copy of God's law. They anointed him and proclaimed him king and everyone shouted, long live the king. All of a sudden, they're all screaming and shouting and the Bible says that Athaliah hears this and she's like, uh-uh. And she comes running into the temple. I don't know what Athaliah looks like, but I picture like crazy hair and crazy eyes. Not like these kind of allergy eyes, but like real crazy eyes. She comes busting up in there and she sees this little boy that was supposed to be dead. And she is infuriated. She rips her clothes. I'm like, well, that's a little extra. She throws a tantrum, rips her clothes, and screams, treason, treason. And they were like, wrong. You're wrong. And they removed her from the temple and took her to the courtyard of the palace and killed her. Right there. When my husband would tell stories like this to my kids, they would clap at that point. They were like, yeah, she's dead. The bad guy's dead. <laughs> they would high five each other, belly bump, all the fun things, you know. You obviously didn't want to do that, and that's okay. You can belly bump later about that. Athalia's dead. Okay. So when Athalia, with her finally being gone, Jehoiada the priest made a covenant with the people and the king that they would serve the Lord. What I love is scripture goes on to say, then the people left the temple and they ran. Look it up for yourself. They ran to the temple of Baal. 
destroying it, destroying all of the, the idols and everything. They didn't just say, hey, on our way to lunch, we should stop by there and take care of business. They were like, no, go now, no more. And they went and they destroyed it and it was all gone. There was a little boy that God had called to be king. And God surrounded him with people who said enough's enough. So i got three things I want you to think about today. Number one, we, you, me, we, are called to be an embassy. Our calling here on this earth is crucial. The timing at this moment is purposeful. We have a mandate from God, and I'm going to tell you all something. If you think we've got time, that's the one thing we don't have. We don't have time. We've got to stop playing church. We've got to stop saving our seats. Well, that's my seat at church, and if it's not going to be there, I'm just not going to go. Wow. You know, God's making it kind of easy on us because we've been busting at the seams, and you know what? People are showing up. It's time for us to do what God's asking us to do and reach those people. You may not know this, but we ran some numbers, average numbers in our kids' ministry on a Sunday. Infant to two-year-olds, that's like I was a fetus, but I'm born, to two years old. Average weekly attend, week, weekend attendance, 35. Three years to five years old. Hold on, 80. Y'all cheer, we need you back there. That's an army. <laughs> First to fifth graders, 125. And we just launched a middle school ministry for our sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And they're running 25, 20 to 25. Here's what's super cool. On Wednesday nights, our student ministry, 70% or more are from unchurched homes. Those kids aren't here because their mom and daddy dropped them off. And a lot of those kids are coming back on their own on Sunday morning and serving in kids' ministry because they see it as important. Mom and daddy aren't here. I don't know where mom and daddy are, but I'm going to tell you something. We got little Joe Ashes running around here, and God's called us to stand up. He's called us to step into a place, and I go, well, somebody's got to do something about it. You're somebody. I'm somebody. We've got to do something about this. We cannot afford to be just another religious entity in this city. We can't. If you heard the conversations of kids in my office every week that are broken and hurting because they know God's got a plan for them and they are not getting that support at home, we cannot afford. We can't afford to play church. And finally, number three, and this is my question to you this morning, is what part will you play in representing heaven in history? I have some friends that I've met through this church that I love with my whole heart. And you know what? It's easy to say, oh yeah, somebody should do something. They did something. I don't wanna ruin the story for you. I have a little video. Check this out and then we'll talk. Go ahead. Hi, we're Mark and Jill Tice. Uh, we've been attending Lone Star Cowboy Church now for about seven years. Really love it here. About uh, probably four or five years ago, uh, the Lord put a calling on our hearts to, uh, to adopt. Uh, we have three biological children. Um, now they're at this point, they're 27, 25, and 17. 
So our two older sons have graduated and moved off into the world. And our 17-year-old daughter is getting ready to go to Texas A&M. So we're actually facing the situation of becoming an empty nester couple. So we did exactly what every empty nester would do, decide to fill our nest with children. And so uh, because of our, our young age, uh, we're, we're 29. I'm sorry, I have this, this condition. It's called half-lexia. It's where I take all the ages and just divide them in half. So actually we're not 29, but if you can do the math, you'll, you'll figure it out. Um, and so we decided to go on the, the path to adopt. And so uh, kind, of, kind of began that journey. And uh, maybe Jill, you wanna pitch in a little bit? Well, actually the journey beca- began much sooner for me. When we lived in Florida at our church was a very large family. They had five kids of their own. And um, my daughter was friends with one of their daughters and they had a little girl that lived down the street. She was a tiny two-year-old and something happened with her mom and someone needed to step up and be her home and they stepped up and I just saw how beautiful it was that this family welcomed this little tiny two-year-old and then got to see her you know just really thrive and I thought you know if, if that situation just ever came across my path I'd say yes I'd be willing to do that um, but then that thought just kind of went away that never presented itself right in front of us and so um, we moved to Texas and then both of us individually just kind of had this um, called a tug on your heart or maybe you know you get teared up when you hear certain things and for us it was hearing stories about foster kids kids who didn't have a forever home and I think we both kind of saw these or heard about these stories individually and then came together and realized it was something that we were meant to do. So even the aspects of uh, recently built a house and just in kind of planning the house and designing it out um, you know, we, we, we built more than we needed uh, by, by far. And, and, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, well, we'll fill it with kids. Just a question of, of timing. Uh, as far as, you know, God's perfect timing will come into play. And uh, that's where we'll, we'll kind of let the Lord lead us to what, whatever he decides. So as, uh, as we thought we'd actually start the adoption process, it's now actually been just a little more than a full year that we had to go through the licensing process with the state of Texas. And so it takes, whether you're going to just foster or actually adopt as we are, it's the same licensing process to go through. So very extensive, you know, background check. Uh, they, they check your finances. They, they come in and inspect your home. They interview you and, and all of your biological children. Uh, they ask for references. Uh, once you actually get um, uh, certified uh, to foster and adopt, you have access to this website. And it's the states, they call it a TAR, T-A-R-E, uh, Texas Adoption uh, Resource Exchange. You go on there and you actually can kind of put in your parameters, you know, how many children you're looking to adopt, um, you know, ages, uh, various degrees of challenges, we'll say. So there's different levels. It's exciting, scary, um, because we don't know what's next. It's really, truly taking it one day at a time. What is our next yes? And, um, you know, at first it was just signing up um, for the orientation meeting, and then it was going through the training, and then it was, you know, changing our house. They have all these rules and standards, um, and each, you know, each time it's it's a yes. And you know, as we saw children, sometimes they would call us and give us stories and say, "Are you willing?" And you you say yes, or you know, we would see children on the website that we said yes to. And so there's, you know, each step along the way, it's just another little yes. So it was December 21st that on the, on the TAR website, 
um, this sibling group popped up and um, I read, read the bio and something really you know, kind of spoke to me. So I saw the, saw the children's pictures. So I inquired on them without asking Jill what she thought about this particular sibling group. And so um, uh, I, later on the day, I showed her the, the sibling group. And in this case, without going into too many details, um, there are a number of girls and all the girls are school age. And so I kind of see, she's like, oh, this looks like a good, good sibling group. And then she saw the youngest child. And uh, definitely this, this youngest child in this picture is one. And so she laughed. I said, still, they have another family in mind. They're not gonna pick us. We're just, we're too old for a baby. Fast forward to February 1st, I'm on a business call at home. I'm on my computer, you know, um, on video with, with a whole bunch of the team members. And Jill walks on the corner and she's carrying a sign. What did the sign say? Um, something about we need a baby shower. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a baby shower. So it was February 1st was the day that we were notified that we were matched. And as we sit here today, we're actually, um, next week, uh, we'll, we'll actually have to meet their team. You know, basically the team of, of caseworkers and support people that provide, um, you know, care and counsel uh, toward this particular sibling group. So we're still kind of, kind of uh, you know, prayerfully uh, waiting and hoping to see what the Lord has for us. But um, assuming things go well, we will have a number of little ones uh, tra tra traveling along with us in church coming up very soon. And we know that when they come into our home, it will be more the same. You know, it's just what is that next step? Because you don't know. And if you did know, you might be a little bit too scared. <laughs> you know, the fear might overtake you, but it's just that what's the next step we have to do? Well, it's really a walk of faith because you know, will we be these kids' perfect parents? I have no idea. Will we certainly, you know, try our best and, and continue our walk with the Lord and look for Him for guidance and advice? Absolutely. And so it, it's just an everyday, you know, everyday waking up and saying, yep, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to be. And, you know, we, every day is a choice, right? Every day they're walking closer to Jesus or farther away. And so I see this kind of as our as our, our life mission, and so for the rest of our lives, we will you know pour into these these children, and give them the best home and the best life we possibly can. So the coolest thing happened yesterday. They um, got to go meet these babies. And there's three little girls and then that baby boy. And I'm going to tell y'all, like, we can't share pictures and stuff, obviously. But I looked at that little boy. I said, you're in trouble. If you can say no to him, you're not a good person because he can have anything he wants. Like, they're just precious. And people are asking, well, what's the story? And here's what I will tell you. It doesn't matter. Because when those babies come into this church, because they're going to be coming mid to late April. They'll be placed in their home mid to late April. We don't want, when we as a church see those babies, we, we think about where they came from. Because where they came from is not good. It's a very sad, sad situation. But what we are gonna do is look at where they're going and what God has for them moving forward, amen? And so we get to, we're gonna be, I told them, I, said, I don't know how we're gonna do this, but we're gonna, we're gonna get people in there to pray over that house. We're gonna do a shower, we're gonna, whatever we're gonna do, we're gonna do this. And so by the end of April, y'all, we got, four new babies coming into this church that somebody said yes to. And I'm not asking you guys, everybody go and sign up to adopt children. I'm not asking you to do that. Um, if the Lord leads you to, you should. If he doesn't lead you to, you shouldn't. But I will tell you, God's asking all of us to do something. You don't, we don't get the privilege. It's not a privilege. We 
get the privilege to do something. We don't get the right to not. Because the world needs Jesus, and he's calling us to be his hands and feet. So I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads with me real quick. I love that God is consistent. I love that he is faithful. I love that despite our inadequacies and our imperfections and our failures and our mess-ups, he still shows up. He still uses us and he still has a plan. So I'm going to ask you two questions this morning. First, if you're in here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not asking if you believe in him. The devil believes in him. I'm asking if you've made him Lord of your life. Is he the Lord of your life? Are you serving your life to him? Are you devoted to him? And if you're like, no, I'm, I'm not. But I need to fix that. We want to pray with you. I don't want you to leave this place without you. Let's get that right. Let's get this started. Let's move forward. It's the most important decision you will ever make. So if there's anybody in here that you right now do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, can I pray with you? Will you raise your hand? I would love to pray with you if there's anybody in here. Okay. All right, family. Now the second question. Are you ready? Nobody looking around because don't worry about what your wife or your husband or your kids or your best friend or your sister-in-law, baby cousin Tracy next to you has to say. This is between you and Jesus. God's asking all of us to do something. Well, I don't know what it is. That's okay. Will you say yes when he tells you? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone? To be a friend, to lend a hand, to open your home, to open your life. To make sure that the people that Jesus paid his life for, that come in contact with you, know that they are loved. Will you say yes? I want everybody to open your eyes and look at me right now. Everybody online, join me too. I think sometimes we want to do things secretly. Yeah, I'll do something for God. I just don't want anybody to know. Okay, yeah. But I think there's something very freeing and very empowering about being bold, eyes wide open. Yes, God. If no one else says yes, I will. Because I believe there's people in this room right now, you're here because somebody was an ambassador in your life. Somebody stepped in when other people stepped out. So with every eye wide open, nobody looking around, this is just you and Jesus. I'm going to ask you a question, and if it makes you uncomfortable, I'm going to sleep just fine tonight. Will you say yes to whatever it is God wants to do in your life? And if your answer is yes, I'm going to invite you just to stand to your feet to make that promise. Yes, God, I'm here. I got it. Well, that's not fair. I can't believe you're making people uncomfortable. Baby, it's heaven or hell now. We don't get to be comfortable anymore. That's a lot of yeses. And you know what that means? Here's the cool, raddest thing about it. We don't have to do it by ourselves. There wasn't one person that said yes, but you know what? If one person said yes, you still have the ability to change the world. But with this many yeses, what could we do in Montgomery and the surrounding counties and in the state and in this world like God has called you today for such a time as this? Today, let's do something with it. Let's pray. Bow your heads. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for every person in this room and online who is saying yes to you, whatever that looks like. God, I thank you that we don't have to have it together. Age doesn't matter. We could be brand new Christians or we could have been walking with you for a long, long time. But Lord, 
you work through our imperfections because you're perfect. You work through our shortcomings because you're everything. God, you qualify those that you call. And I pray right now that every person with the sound of my voice hears and understands there's a call and a mandate on our lives to be your hands and feet to the world around us. Forgive us, God, for buying into a culture we were never meant to be part of. And help us, Jesus, to reach a world that you laid your life down for. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us enough to want to use us. Thank you, God, that you give us the tools we need. Your word says you are the author and perfecter of our faith. And God, I pray that every person as they walk out these doors and they leave this campus and they go into a world in which they were called to go, God, that you equip them, that you give them boldness, you give them words, you give them understanding beyond their years, beyond their training. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you lead, order our steps, reveal the tactics of the enemy so that we are not caught off guard. And Lord, I thank you that your word says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, you raise a standard against him and we were meant to make a difference. And God, I pray that you do that through the lives of every single one of us. I thank you, Jesus, that there's churches all across this, this county and this state that right now are worshiping you. And Lord, I pray that we take this mandate serious and we stop playing. We don't have time. Help us to use the time you've given us wisely. We love you so much in your precious name. Amen. Listen, if you need prayer, we've got a prayer team down here. Don't leave without meeting with them. Go and make your yes a yes and change this world today. We love you guys and we'll see you next week.